Welcome to the Road Trip Show, our Road Trip Show with Diedrich. And uh, yes, we're going to carry on with um, uh, the Kruger Park. And now we are going to move a little bit southwards into Kruger. And uh, yes, good morning, Diedrich. And uh, good morning. over to you. Morning, morning from a, from a cold, cold Johannesburg, I felt. I know for our listeners across in Canada, how cold is your summer, but for us in Africa, we're not built for this kind of stuff. We don't, we don't, do, this, we don't do these minus numbers very well. But yeah, I think we, we carry on today with the Kruger Park. As we were saying last time, the Kruger has got so many different facets to it. And there's quite a bit of cool history that you can actually explore in Kruger while you're doing your drives. And there's one spot that we did miss in the last, in the last one, sort of just in, in that Latava area, um, just south of Latava, there's actually a, um, on the road from Latava down to Olifans, there's a beautiful big baobab tree. Now, baobabs are sort of one of those iconic African images, you know, that huge trunk and those little leaves that stick out. Yeah. Yeah, so it'll become a mythical tree, and it's you know there's there's even creation stories that belong to the baobab tree, in that uh, some cultures call it the upside down tree, because often it there's <laughs> often no leaves on it, and it looks like it's sticking in like the head in the ground, and the then the branches up are just the roots sticking in the sky, and one of yeah. the, one of the legends and stories of the baobab is that uh, when the world was created, God gave jobs to all the animals to go and plant all the various trees and plants and shrubs and things. And he gave a tree to the hyena and the hyena being the sneaky, lazy thing that he is, didn't listen to the instructions Just ran off and rammed this thing in the ground, but he put it in upside <laughs> down. And that's why the baobab tree grows upside down now because the hyena didn't, didn't um, <laughs> listen, listen properly. Yeah, that's another very, another another very cool story. And again, is what always interests me with these things is how different cultures always seem to adopt the same imagery. You know, it's like having snakes. There's always big serpents and snakes in rivers. You know, you've got the you've got yummy yummy in the in, in the Zambezi. You've got the, the the snake down in the waterfall in Howick that we spoke about. We've got the the um up up in up in Venda we've got the sacred lake with the with the serpent in the sacred lake up Lake Fundudzi up in South Africa. And so the snake is one of those things that also always comes up in in this kind of mythology. And hence the baobab tree is also one of those things that keeps on coming out everywhere. And one of the San creation stories is that um the creator god by the name of Kachen also struck the branches of the baobab tree and out of the roots of the baobab came all the animals uh, you know the bay of the baobab does hold us this, this special kind of place and when you see one sort of on the, on the, we, got there, we had that little hillock in the, one of the previous podcasts with those two baobabs on it as the landmark for the you know for the recruiting guys bringing the labor down to the Vatas Rant as well and there's a baobab tree just on the road there between Latava, yes. and it's called Van Wilichs, Van Wilichs Baobab. Now, those of you uh, that live in Johannesburg will know that there's a main street in the center of town called Van Wilichs Street, also one of the big streets that are done by the, by the stock exchange in Johannesburg. But um, 
He was a surveyor in the late 1800s, and he actually surveyed the border between the then Transvaal and um, Portuguese East Africa or Mozambique. And he was camped under this tree, and he carved his initials in in the tree in um, 1891. And that was one of his camps. It was called Camp 19. And you can understand why they camp under the Baobab. It's a huge, big, shady, spready tree and stuff. But uh, yeah. Uh, the border, the 1891, the border was formalized, and von Willich was the surveyor who actually did that. And that was just one that we missed yesterday. But we, for last time, we went we went through down past Orpen and Eileen Orpen and uh, the old Rabelais hut. And we come now to a couple of other interesting little spots. And again, you know, we've got to remember that the Kruger Park is a relatively new creation that, that hasn't always existed and on the on one of the main roads there, there's a little memorial to Louis Trichart. Louis Trichart has featured in quite a few of our podcasts before, and uh, there's a memorial yes. to him in Maputo when we when we do the when we did the highways and we started the highway that starts in Maputo and ends at the Botswana border. We mentioned Louis Trichart because he eventually made it through to Maputo. And uh, if you look at the map. He, he, he took a hell of a detour getting into Maputo because obviously where this plaque is is way north of where um, Maputo is now. The then it was then called Delagoa Bay. Okay, it was then called Delagoa Bay. Like, later on, it became Lorenzo Marks, and now it's uh, Maputo. But that little marker is actually on the road that he that he took to get into into Lorenzo Marks. I mean, you can yeah. imagine what those guys were actually going through with us, ox wagons and malaria and wild animals and, and uh, all sorts of stuff. And they, they settled, they first settled up in the Sopansburg Mountains and then they decided to try and get down to Maputo. So if you look at those roots of the foot trackers, it's an absolute spider web across South Africa where all these different ox wagons went to. But then we go, if you go a little bit further over to the east and you get onto one of the real little sort of back roads, little dirt roads, almost um, exactly opposite where the Louis Trichard Memorial is. You actually see the two plaques of Ranger Harry Voliter. Now, Harry Voliter, we've mentioned a couple of times because he features in the library in Skakuza. There's that lion skin up on the wall with his, with his knife and his dog, is buried in the little hero's ache in Skukuza as well. But yes. on, one those, on one of those little back roads are the plaques where his lion incident actually happened. Now, you're talking 1904. I mean, this is two years after Stevenson Hamilton has come in after the Anglo-World War, British, the British take over. They start putting union structures and stuff. They appoint Stevenson Hamilton as the first warden of the park, and he starts recruiting guys. And Harry Volater, I think, was the first or second guy that actually came in to act as ranger. And yeah, again, you know, that time, that, that, that period, there's just nothing there. It's just open bush. Um, it had been a hunting area. So a lot of the game was very scarce. And at that stage, I mean, the elephants were, had been shot out. There were no rhino left. There was, you know, and, uh, a large part yes. of the work that the rangers were doing was patrolling and trying to get, keeping people out and also recording what animals were there because they didn't know what they had. And he was on his horse. After nightfall, okay, not a great time to do this. And uh, yeah. <laughs> two lions came up behind him, 
and jumped on his horse. He, 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 he bolted. Obviously, the horse ran away and he bolted. But the lion, the one lion actually got him and chewed his shoulder up very, very badly. And he manages, he manages with his other hand to reach across and grab his little sheath knife. And he was, even in his memoirs, yes. he admits it was, a, it was an absolute fluke and luck that his knife was still there because he was always complaining that the sheath for his knife was too loose and his knife was forever falling out. But on this yeah, occasion, uh, the lion dragged him from his horse. He's underneath his lion. The lion was chewing on his shoulder. And he reaches across and his knife was still there. And he manages to stab this lion and he manages to get this thing in the chest and get to the heart. Yeah. So the lion lets him go. And um, he then manages, before all, the, all his blood loss, he manages to climb up into a tree. And um, he gets up into, this, up into this, this, this tree and he ties himself in there with his, with his belt that holds his pants up because he knew that he's going to pass out. Yeah. And... Uh, so he gets into this tree, he ties himself up into the tree, and uh, his little dog kept on harrying the lion. The one remaining lion was still trying to get him, and the whole night this lion was patrolling around this tree, but kept on being distracted by, by Harry's dog. And yes. uh, in the morning, his staff came to look for him and found him, and he'd survived. And uh, after extensive treatment and stuff, he actually recovered completely, but he never quite recovered the use of his one arm. You know, and once a lion starts chewing on yeah. you, it's, uh, it's, you're, lucky to, yeah. you're lucky to get out of it. But those two spots are still on the road there. Yeah. So you can go and see, and the, the remnants of his one of the tree are actually still there as well. There's a little tree stump now. The tree's long dead. But uh, yeah. it's just, again, one of those little spots where it's interesting just to go and reflect on what these guys actually went through. Yes. They're not easy if you're going down and you, if you keep on going south and you're still on the main road. One of the first spots you can get to after the, the, actually the very well-known Kruger tablets. And it's basically just a little memorial. There's two tablets or plaques mounted in one of the beautiful granite poppies there. And it commemorates the establishment of the, of the national parks in the then Union of South Africa because the National Parks Act was passed in 1926 and was introduced by Piet Grobler. Okay, remember Piet Grobler? We have the Grobler Dam a little bit further north. And he was Minister of Lands in the cabinet of um, President Herzog. So Kruger laid the foundations of this thing and Piet Grobler, and I think think Piet Grobler was a nephew of Paul Kruger. He managed to get this uh, this act passed in Parliament, and that this, these plaques commemorate the eventual the Sabi Game Reserve and the Shingwezi Game Reserve. Kruger wasn't one continuous park at that stage. There was one within the north and one in the south, and a corridor yes. of land that was sort of I don't know, just de facto park, but never officially proclaimed. And um, he manages to get these both these both these pieces of land. Yeah. Amalgamated into into one unit, forming forming the national park. And again, a little bit further down from there, you get the Open Memorial Rocks. Again, 
in honor of Eileen Open, who didn't donate those parks or donated her farms up by Open Gate yes. to, the, to the Kruger Park. And I think to this day, it still remains the biggest donation of private land ever to the national parks. And I think we stick here. We, I think the, 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 the logical way to do this is we stick down to the eastern side of the park. And um, along the Sabi River, so now we're on that, on that main, main route there from Skakuza down to Lower Sabi, there's a little graveyard or a little gravesite there of some old prospectors. Remember, the Sabi River, if you go out of the park now and you head up towards Sabi, Leidenberg, you're going up through Mac-Mac, you're getting into Pilgrim's Rest. That's all gold. Those are all gold mining towns. Yes. So yes. there was gold. There was gold in the rivers. So prospectors were also busy in the Kruger Park, in, in the area that later later became the Kruger Park. Another interesting character sticks his head up here. Once you go down, you, if you're on the road and you're a little bit further south from the camp called Lower Sabi, is a little spot called the Joao Albacini's Trading Post. And we've touched on this before, in that before Kruger was proclaimed, it was the main road out of Leidenberg, out of Pilgrim's Rest, Leidenberg, Mac-Mac. It was the transport route down to Maputo. We're back in the years of the Transvaal Republic under Paul Kruger, Paul Kruger was desperate yes. to stay independent of the Cape Colony and the British and railway tariffs and stuff. So there was a massive business of bringing goods and supplies from Maputo up to these mining towns. And those little tracks and roads went straight through what is now the Kruger Park. And the remnants, yes. the remnants of um, a, a quite a colorful character, regarding Joao Albacini, is, um, is, is, on, on that road there as well. There's not much left of it. And again, another one, when you go a little bit further south, you're heading now down, down to, towards the gate, down towards Crocodile Bridge Gate, and you've got a Greek guy who set up a little trading post there, a guy named Sardelli, and um, a bit of a notorious character. He's, he's, he's not known for his businesses, but he is known for... Um, his brews made out of the marula fruit. And uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he made a very, very well-known marula beer. Yeah, the good stuff. That got everybody very, very drunk. And the rumors are that uh, he also commanded a bunch of Shangan highwaymen who would then rob rob the mine workers. Because, again, you know, the mine workers coming in and out, you know, there was obviously traffic mine workers going to the mines. And then once they... Yeah finish their contract, their six-month or 12-month contract, they now got to get back to Mozambique. And, of course, they yes. loaded with cash. So, again, quite a lucrative little enterprise was robbing the mine workers on their way back. And uh, yeah, he, he seems to have been one of those characters involved with that. And uh, his later history is that he also joined uh, another notorious outfit during the Anglo-Boer War called Steinacker's Horse. Now, Steinecker's horse was Steinecker. Some it was a German nobleman of some weird description that magically appears, and a very flamboyant guy. You know, hats with feathers and beautiful uniforms and stuff. And no, no, no one's actually ever really got to the bottom of of his proper history. But he managed to convince everybody 
that he was a military leader and he got a commission and he said he set up a unit to patrol yeah. that area. But again, Anglo-Boer War, you know, the British trying to stop the trade and trying to sort of cut the supply lines for the Boers. And Steinecker's horse was very active in that Kruger Park, Swaziland area, but again, did not cover themselves in glory. Quite a notorious bunch for parties and yes. drinking and getting drunk. And uh, <laughs> uh, the, and the fact that Sardelli joined Steinecker's horse, I think, says enough about that entire operation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've touched on it again a couple of times. You know, when, we, when we did the N4 just outside of Nelspreit, there's a couple of sand paintings. And there's an awful lot of them in Kruger as well. None of them, very few of them are accessible and none of the locations are made public, but there is one down on the Crocodile River where you can actually go and have a look at some of these sand paintings. And there's apparently about 180 or 190 rock art sites in Kruger. But again, they are, now they sort of kept kept a little bit secret. The other place, there's one spot here just just outside of the camp of Crocodile Breeze that you can go and look at some rock art, and there's also a little rock art uh, walking trail at Bergendal where you can see some of the some of the other San rock art. And it always amazes me that we don't have enough protection of the rock art sites in South Africa. You know, we've got national monuments, and I always I use this one often. And where Petra Tief came down off the escarpment, um, sort of in the area of Harry Smith going down the escarpment now, down, down that area where his daughter went and painted his name on the rocks. That is a national monument. So Deborah Retief paints Petra Tief's name. That becomes a national monument. But the sand rock art is not protected. And that to me is, is, is bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> That just doesn't. That's wrong. That, that needs to change. But again, just along the Crocodile River, there's another little trading store. I mean, Alf Roberts. He was also um, tapping into that lucrative trade of the of the the ox wagons coming in and out of Maputo, Lorenzo Mars going up uh, to the to the gold fields, and also again he operated there 1880s. He was eventually murdered by someone, and uh, that, again, is one of the little stories that has never got a proper conclusion. <laughs> but another yeah. interesting site here, again, is a spot called General Benfulyun's Guns. Now, Benf- okay. Benfulyun was one of the Boer War generals, and, wow. the, and this was his area. And he commanded a crowd called the Krugersdorp Volunteer Corps. And he was there trying to obviously keep the road open so that the Boers could get supplies. So he's now obviously messing around with Steinecker's horse and the, and the more formalized British military um, units in that area. And the, the, yes. the little plaque there, the little stone memorial, commemorates the spot where he eventually had to destroy his artillery and ammunition in September 1900. And you got to put that in context in that I think it was in July, June, July, 1900, the British had occupied Pretoria. August, 1900, the last formal battle of the Anglo-Boer War was fought at a place called Bergendal, 
which is that big monument we spoke about, Berkhandal, when we chatted about the N4 highway. You see it on the side of the road, the big like needle monument on the side there. And that battle marked the transition of the Anglo-Boer War from a formal type of conventional war into a guerrilla type of warfare. So September, August is, is um, Bergendal. Kruger has managed to escape and, and has got through to Lorenzo Marx. And here General Ben Fulun then decides, okay, he needs to get rid of all this heavy stuff that he's carting around the countryside. So he spikes his guns there in what is now um, the Kruger Park. He managed to retreat. He was he, His main opponent there was a guy by the name of General Paul Carew. And Paul Carew's sole mission was to catch Ben Fulhoun, but he couldn't catch him. He never caught Ben Fulhoun. And, uh, <laughs> and Ben Fulhoun eventually dies in New Mexico in the USA. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't handle the... Uh, the British, and he decided he didn't want to live under British rule. So he eventually dies in the USA. And on our app, his, his, his little, his, his grave is marked. You can find it. But uh, one of our characters is buried in the US. But when you get now, the, where, where we now sit at the Ben, at, at Ben Fulhoun's guns, if you draw a line straight through to the camp called Pretorius Corp, you now actually on that main road. It's called the Fort Trekker Road. Even to this day, the, the labels say Fort Trekker Road. And that road is now littered and speckled with all sorts of little memorials to those old days. And uh, there's actually a Delagoa Bay transport route plaque right there. I mean, it doesn't really commemorate anything, but it just says to you guys, you've got to understand that this was the old road um, that's, that all the transport guys used, and that was a really, really, really important highway at the, at the time. And, of course, at the, same, at the same time, we've got all sorts of memorials to Chocolate Bushfield. Oh, yes. And a lot of the stories of Chocolate the Bushfield um that book written by Sir Percy Fitzpatrick play out on this on this road. So it's called the Fortricker Road. Jock's birthplace is there. Um, there's there's little memorials on the side and a lot of the intersections, and it's a lot, it's, a, it's actually very pretty because they've got a proper little plaque. Yeah, um, with a picture of Jock on it. So that that road is, and it's it's a very interesting road if you take that Fortricker Road. Because it, it traverses some some really really in countryside, you you eventually go up through to um, a little spot called uh, the Afsal picnic site. Why is it called Afsal? Afsal translated Afsal means to off saddle, off saddle your horse. Yeah. Why? Because that was one of the transport routes, general stopping places, yeah. and it is a well known campsite. Yeah. Just south of there, on one of the main intersections, again, another little memorial to Jock. Oh, yes. And that, that road, again, you've got another spot there called uh, Fichla Manzi. Fichla Manzi means hidden water. Again, one of, the, one of the campsites for the transport route. So we're going to be mentioning this transport routes 
often. There's another spot called Outspan. Again, one of the routes for for the um, transport riders. But an, another little interesting one, another little interesting one is is the very very first concrete dam built in Kruger. And it's interesting to reflect that in 1931 that that first concrete dam was built because already by then they'd realized that um, water in the dry seasons was an issue because Kruger, if you look at the, the entire structure of Kruger, Kruger runs very narrow, but it's very long north to south. Yes. But the... Natural migration routes and the natural flow of game was east to west. So when Kruger yes. was established and eventually they put a fence line down, hundreds of animals died along the fence line. Like they couldn't utilize their normal routes to go towards the escarpment where there was water when Kruger was in dry yes. season. And that's when this whole dam construction thing started. And again, for me, just interesting, 1931 is the first concrete dam. Now we're sitting 100 years later almost, and we're busy breaking the dams down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because the knowledge and the, you know, the knowledge and the experience and the studies have proven that, that, that building of dams is a, is a controversial and a difficult one, and it's not always the correct answer. Yeah. There's another little memorial on that thing, on that, on that road to a guy by the name of Thomas Hart. And another guy there who was a trader. You know, so we've got all of these little trading posts along this road, and it just shows you how busy that road must have been, that within the space of 40, 50 kilometers, we've already got three or four of these commemorative blocks to all these traders who are busy um, in this area. Yes. And other, other than the fact that he was murdered over the, over a story of about who owned a rifle or something, there's not much about him. Uh, as you're heading up now towards Pretorius Cop, you can actually turn off and you can actually visit Jock of the, Jock of the Bushveld's birthplace. Yes. And according to the story, Jock was born in 1885. And he was the little run, he was the runt of the litter. But I mean, again, it's a beautiful book to read, Jock of the Bushveld, and it gives a wonderful insight into life in that period. And Fitzpatrick was one of these Oxwagon drivers who plied his trade between Leidenberg and, and Maputo. And, uh, he, he then wrote the story of Jock of the Bushveld. And it's that book is actually still in print today. Yes, yes. So beautiful story. It's one of those ones you gotta you gotta get that one. As you come up now closer and closer towards Pretoria's got one or two more Jock of the Bushveld plaques there. So you're really in the land of that little dog there. Yeah. And when you come up and you now and now you get into the camp called Pretorius Corp. Now Pretorius Corp is the oldest camp in Kruger. And the, the, the story goes that the park was declared and the motivation behind it was an econ- more economic motivation than a conservation motivation. 
in that Paul Kruger saw that a large part of his economy depended on the trade and the acquisition of wildlife goods, meat, hides, etc. Yeah. You know, so people would come out of the Transvaal of, of the of the high lying areas, and in the winter months they'd go down to the low felt and shoot because uh, they can't do anything on their farm. So they would go on a, on a hunting expedition, come back with hides and meat and biltong and all the rest of it, and then bring that yes. all back up in the in the summer months. And there was a railway line that ran down through part of the park. You can still see remnants of that railway line. And in fact, very recently outside Skakuza, they've opened the Salati Railway Line Hotel, which is an old railway coach is now converted into a beautiful hotel on the bridge over the Sabi River. And the story is that they specially planned the railway and the train ride to go through the park at night because in the words of, of a very enlightened official, no one cares about a bunch of silly wild animals. And one of the train drivers used to stop the train and would have a little picnic and he'd like to bonfire and he would sit there and the guy and the people thoroughly enjoyed it. And eventually Joe Public started writing letters saying they want to go through the park during the day so they can actually see the animals. And that's when the penny dropped and yeah. realized that this is this could be a um quite a quite a serious tourist attraction. Yeah. And they then decided to open the park to visitors and they settled this first camp. And the first camp opened in the park is called Pretorius Corp. So it's now become quite a quite a quite a large camp. And there's still one of the old original huts in the camp. And I mean, you go and you look at that tiny little hut, and it's a miniature thing. There's no windows, absolutely nothing. It's basically just a, a little mud, mud circle with a thatched roof on it, and you could sleep inside it. So thank goodness yeah. you've done something about that and made it ever so slightly more comfortable to stay in the park these days. Uh, yes. and, and, I always giggle when I, when, I, when, I, when I drive around Pretorius Cop because you can see what the idea was of a game viewing road. They've got one main road in and then there's a little side track and then there's a circle that's like maybe six or seven hundred meter circle that you drive around and you come back to the original, to, to the T-junction, you're back in the main road. And this is what they thought what game viewing was in the 1930s or the 1920s when they built this. Yeah. And I mean, look, Pretorius Cop is a lovely camp. It's got one of the nicest swimming pools of the entire park. Um, and beautiful. It's in one of the weirder plant vegetation zones in Kruger. So you wind up with sable antelope down there. I've seen Elon down, down in Pretorius Cop area. I've seen Tessabi. I actually went to the, to the, to the reception the one day. I said, well, I, I'm, I, I'm not hallucinating what I've seen Eland and Tessabee. They said, no, actually quite right. They migrate yes. from the north of the park all the way down to the southern side of the park every once in a while. And weird, weird stuff. So you see, you know, the, the Torres Corp area is a really fun area to go to from a history point of view as well as just from the wildlife and from the um, historical point of view. Yeah. And if you carry on the main it's- road, you're just about to hit Numbi Gate. Then on the left-hand side, there's a little ga- little grave there of a guy by the name of Willem Pretorius. And Willem Pretorius 
was one of the foot trackers, and he was part of Carl Trichardt's trek to um, Maputo or Lorenzo Marx. But he died from malaria. Um, we think he died of malaria in that area. And he was buried there by Joao Albacini, the character that we just mentioned with a little trading post. Uh, and yeah. it's never been specifically authenticated, if I could put it that way, but they think that the name Pretorius Cop was actually named after this food tracker who's buried on that main road there. So that's where the name Pretorius comes from. Well, Pretorius Cop comes from. Cool. Okay, I think we call this one now. We've done, We've had our 30 minutes on this one, and I think what we can do then is we can hit the main road up around Skakuza and a couple of the historical spots up there in our next podcast. Uh, awesome. Thanks, Didrik. And uh, yeah, to everyone listening to this podcast, thank you very much for supporting us. And uh, yeah, see you next time. Cool. Cheers.